Welcome to Open Banking's Quest for Mass Adaptation, an investment officer podcast offered to you by Yolt. My name is Annette van Soest, your host. When the new open banking protocol PSD2 was first introduced in 2015, expectations were high. The democratization of account and bank data promised to break open the banking market and was expected to be embraced by businesses and consumers alike. Open banking would make banking faster, safer and better. However, just a small portion of consumers currently allows third parties to access their account and payment data. And perhaps that is open banking's Achilles heel, because most open banking value propositions seem to be based on data aggregation. And to benefit from data, one needs larger numbers. Time to take a closer look at what open banking is, what its applications are, and how the industry can grow. Joining me is Nicholas Wenkan, CEO of Yolt, a first mover and market leader in open banking. Welcome, Nicholas. Well, well thank you for having me. Before we start talking about YOLT and open banking, I would first like to get to know you a little. So if you would like to uh, please finish the following sentences. I currently live in... Cardiff, Wales. The best thing about that place is... It's green for a reason. (laughs) So it rains a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It rains a lot. (laughs) And that's a good thing. (laughs) It's a good thing. (laughs) In my free time, I love to... Ooh, run around, swim around and bike around. And my most valuable learning experience is? Every day is a learning experience. You have to finish the day on a high and reflect on what you've learned for the day. So, um, Nicholas, for everyone that has heard about open banking but doesn't quite know what it means, what is open banking? How does it work? So I'm, I'm enthusiastic about open banking, hence the fact that I lead an organization that is uh, focused on open banking. But I think it's one of the best uh, thought regulation that came through the European Union. And open banking is not only the European Union, it's also active in elsewhere. But the premises of open banking was... Banks have access to data that are very, very useful in understanding customer behavior and um, and predicting customer behavior. Unfortunately, that data is locked within the banks. The open banking regulation was putting a framework allowing customer to request the data to be shared with third parties for other purposes. So I'll give a very simple example. Imagine you're applying for a mortgage. At the moment, your bank knows everything about you and will make you a a very good offer. Well, what open banking does is the ability for you to take the data that you have within your bank and share it, say, with another bank and say, can you match that offer or do better? So the premise is really a free flow of information for the benefit of the consumer and also more efficiency, more competition within the market. So that's the premise. That's what we call AIS, so Aggregation Information Services. And then you have another side to it, which the which is the Payment Initiation Service, which makes it easier to pay from one bank to the other. So these are the two aspects of open banking, AIS and PIS. Okay, so you explained already what the benefits are for me as a consumer. What about the benefits from a business point of view? 
So uh, going back to my example of the mortgage, before um, you would come to me with some printouts and then I'll try to see if those printouts are legit and whether, you know, I have a good enough picture. With open banking, the data can flow directly to you uh, as a business entity. You can structure the data in a very, very rapid manner and come to a decision. So more efficiency, uh, faster decision, everything lines up in that instance and also more insights into the behavior of the consumer. What's the difference uh, between open banking and trading client transaction data? So this is not trading clients' data. This is really initiated. So uh, in this process, and I go back still to my mortgage, it's the customer who says, I need uh, to apply for a mortgage. Hence, I'm willing to share the data that is currently in my bank with other entities that can give me a better deal. Once that transaction is done, the banks or the other recipient of the information do not have the right to keep the data and they have to take it away. So hence, it's a very, very easy flow of information, but in a very secure environment also. I asked that question because I think one of the reasons consumers are reluctant to share their account and payment data is that it's unclear what will happen to their data. The fear is that sharing data won't always be used to their benefit. I think, you know, uh, data always has two angles to it. Uh, of course, being uh, if you think about it, all data can be used negatively. I think the framework that the European Commission has put in place is helping find the best deal for the consumer. It's in no way a negative application of the data. And because we are in Europe, you also have GDPR rules that govern the sharing of the data. So the data does not belong to the people who received it. They have the, they are the custodian of the data for a limited time frame for the purpose for which it was required. After that, they have to delete the data or anonymize it and then move on to the next one. Let's talk about the size and structure of the open banking sector. Which segments constitute the open banking market? So the size of the market is something that is evolving very, very rapidly. So you have the different providers. So uh, the European Union made it clear that every bank have to provide uh, open banking connections. So if you are ABN AMRO, ING, you have to provide an open banking connection. Then you have people like us, which are called TPP, third-party provider. Our role is to connect within, uh, to connect to those banks, to connect to ABN AMRO, to connect to ING and so on, and then take the data in a safe environment and then give it to the people who might have to make decisions. So it might be some fintechs that need to evaluate some credit decision, or it can be another bank for the purpose of the mortgage. So we are in that instance, a regulated entity. So we have a regular, um, we have a license with the Dutch regulator and also the FCA. So we're one of the very few that have a dual license uh, operating both in the UK and in Europe. So 
everybody is a licensed entity in this uh, in this framework. And then we'll also, if our license is used, we have the obligation to follow up and make sure that the people who are receiving the data are legitimate user and can uh, can claim to have access to that data. But at every instance, the customer is in charge. The customer is the one who makes the decision to share or not the data. The size of the market, it's growing. It's growing not as quickly as we'd like it, but I think that we're getting towards that hockey stick. If you look at the data um, back in 2018, total revenue open banking around the world was around 7.6 billion. We're predicting it to be around 43 billion by 2026. So it's growing very, very quickly. Um, and how big is it now? I suspect it's around the 15 billion mark. So it's really, really moving very, very fast. And there's more to come. Who are the key players? The key players are uh, intermediary like us. So Yolt is one of the leading players in that environment. And then other third-party provider. Everybody's trying to find a way to uh, connect those banks and then give new business proposal based on the data supplied by the bank. So you have a lot of innovation. Uh, one of the, our current customers, for example, uh, is an accountancy uh, software firm called Yort. What they do is they take the open bank Banking data that we feed to them based on the permission that they receive from their customer, but they immediately help structure the accounts of their customer so that the reporting becomes much more easier. So it's a kind of automation plus uh, insights into behavior, and it, it's a superb application of what open banking was designed for. So, Nicholas, what are the biggest challenges faced by companies adopting open banking? Because we've talked about the benefits now, what are the challenges? I think there's still a lack of awareness around uh, how open banking operates. We did a survey uh, last year uh, looking at um, companies across Europe. I think we tested it across France, Netherlands, UK, Spain, Belgium. And a lot of companies did not understand how open banking operates. A lot of them were not aware of what open banking is or how it can help them. So there's a lack of awareness. But the second part is people think it's very, very complicated and they need to connect to the banks themselves. And this is where we're like, no, we do this job on your behalf. So we connect the banks and we offer you the data in a structured manner. The only thing you have to do then is take this data and use it for the purpose you want to use it for. So I think there's a lack of awareness and that's a lack of understanding of the data. And the other side is people are also very wary about um, the compliance side. And we're also, if If you act on a license, we'll also take care of that. We'll be erasing the data based on the GDPR regulation on a regular basis. But first, uh, companies will have to know about open banking. So how can you raise awareness? So I think uh, we are certainly going into a lot of exhibition trying to raise awareness. But the other application of open banking is the payment initiation services. And PIS is a, a mandate that the European Union is trying to promote. And in fact, I think yesterday there was an article from uh, one of the commissioner who's going to promote open banking payment. I think that in the Netherlands, you are used to having IDEO, uh, which is, you know, the bank-to-bank -bank payment. And it seems like the natural thing. You have to uh, 
to understand that this is the exception, it's not the rule. So across Europe, you don't have IDO. So imagine that you have open banking, it's like IDO, but on steroids across Europe. So you can make one payment from one account to the other instantly with less, um, less possibility for fraud. And everybody's happy because money arrives instantly. And I think that, you know, when you look at IDO, it's, it works. And I think this is what is going to happen with PIs in the future. Ideal on steroids. So I'm guessing that this is particularly interesting for companies that are active abroad. It's interesting for any company that has to take a payment. And the simple example I gave is uh, I recently have a plumber who came to repair something at home and the plumber needed uh, to be paid. So the traditional way he would send me an invoice, I would send a check. With this one, he sent me a link or a QR code, I can pay him immediately. He receives the money before leaving the house. He's happy, I'm sorted, and, and everything works. So it doesn't have to be a multinational. In fact, you know, it can work on a very, very small company. But of course, the, the international angle is also there. I don't know if you've heard recently, uh, so this payment is a fraction of the cost of traditional payment method. And I think this was highlighted recently with Amazon uh, threatening to pull all uh, MasterCard payment in February of this year because they couldn't come to an agreement given the cost of the transaction. Here we're talking cents per transaction. So it, we are not paid Per, we are paid per transaction, but we're not paid a percentage of the transaction. And the cost of what we're paid is the cost of our infrastructure, which is very, very low. So the vendor benefit from implementing such a tool, fast payment, very low cost, and instant, instant payment, instant money in the account. Um, you already gave a couple of examples. Can you give another example where open banking is beneficial to both consumer and business in quantitative terms? So uh, the other, for example, we have at the moment a product that we have rolled out with our partner, Graydon, in the Netherlands. So if you are a small company and, and the, the prime example is you are a florist and you need a van to do the flower delivery, then you apply for a lease on a van. But being a florist, the data that they have on you might be your turnaround for the last two years, and that was pre-COVID time, and the decision might be difficult. Open banking that we have implemented here with our partner, Graydon, simply says, hey, Mr. Florist, we think that we don't have enough data. Would you be willing to share more data with us to make the decision? What we do then is send uh, the florist a link. They click on the link. They select the bank. We structure the data and show the data to the florist. So the, the way we structure the data is looking at average income per month, number of transactions, outgoing, making it very, very clear to the people who need to make a decision about the cash flow of the florist. Once we have structured the data, the decision then is in the customer's side to say, I'm willing to share this data that they have seen or not. Once they've said we're willing to share, they click send and the data then goes to the people who are making the decision. But the, the, the company never received the full amount of data. They just received a summary of the data structured in the way that would allow them to make a decision. So we're certainly now going into the realm of helping small and medium company find lines of credit, 
leasing, all sorts of things that might have been difficult because of the lack of information about their business. Yeah. So, so this is also a big help for lenders. It's a big help for lenders. Who are always seeking to optimize risk and return. Yes. In fact, what we've seen in some of the data that we've released is that you can have a much more high, it's a higher acceptance rate. Because like you say, lenders would have a tendency to go very, very safe, but for the same level of risk, they can accept more customer based on the data that is being shared. If open banking is such a great innovation, there will be a lot of competitors on this market, uh, also competitors of Yolt. Why should investors um, put their money in Yolt? I think it's always a question about who came in first and what are you doing. We started back in 2016, we've built a network of connections. So we have over, I believe at the moment, we have over 600 banks connected. Yes, you can come and build those connections, but it's going to take you time. We've built it also to a a level of security that is probably one of the highest of the industry. We are an entity that is owned by ING Bank. And because of our background, we have security and compliance at the heart of our thinking. So that gives us an edge on when we're bidding for, for businesses, we say, hey, we've built it from the ground up to serve big business and we're safe environment. So that gives us a leg up. Then the fact that we have established hundreds of connections and maintain these hundreds of connections to the latest standard means that we have an edge on the other guys. But hey, anybody with deep enough pocket can replicate what we've done. It's just a question of time. But I think, you know, time is money in this case. And hopefully we'll have a slight advantage on the rest of the market. Let's end with a prediction. In three years from now, how many people in the EU and UK will be using open banking services? What do you think? I think more than half. You don't need to be aware of what open banking is to use it. And the very, very simple example I, I have is um, one of my friends who's over 60 years old um, had an account with a, a UK bank and was telling me about how he could collect some of his data from his credit cards that were with a different bank. And I looked at him and said, that's open banking, but you don't know that you've been using open banking. So I think that you don't need to know what open banking is. The benefit will flow. What the open banking industry has to focus on is what other use case that will benefit the consumer or benefit business or both. That is the best way to spread the adoption of open banking. But I'm pretty convinced that this is on the right track. Thank you so much, Nicholas Wayne Kahn. Thanks for joining. And thank you for listening. My name is Annette van Soest. This podcast is offered to you by Yolt, market leader in open banking. If you would like to know more about open banking and what it can do for your business, please visit yolt.com. And for more podcasts on investing, please visit investmentofficer.nl.